Welcome to Trading for Keeps. This is Brian. And this is Michael. Today is our end of year review. This will be our last podcast of the year. It's interesting. Our first one wasn't released until, what was it, June. Um, But we actually recorded it in January. And I even, if you have listened to it, I apologize for the audio quality, but if you've listened to it, we actually mentioned the coronavirus as this strange thing that might be a big story this year. So we want to talk about what happened this year. I, was the, I, Brian, do you think the coronavirus was ended up being a big story or? Yeah, I think that was one of the few headlines we had for this year. You know, I think it, that might have impacted the markets, you know, a little bit at least. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I mean, there was ultimate, there was this, we, we saw how, I think one of the biggest things you can take from it is how, um, what is it? How the markets are not efficient and how the markets are not guided by things like how the economy is doing or how unemployment is. You know, everyone's talking about these unemployment numbers and this, that, and the other. Well, guess what? Unemployment's high. Uh, the economy is in recession and the markets are all, all time highs. Yeah. So I would say before this podcast, I, I was at, I was doing a long run and I decided, you know what, I'm going to go listen to CNBC and they have these like their market pre-market podcast that they do, or it's a TV show. They record it. You can listen to it. And I'm just going to listen to it. What they, what those podcasts sounded like in March. Right. And this is when, you know, everything was tanking. And basically we wiped off about a year's worth of market gains in a matter of like a month. Right. And, uh, it, sorry, less than that. It was three years, three years, more than I remember more. one of the headlines was, you know, the, I think it was either the Dow or the S&P went back to pre-Trump levels. That was one of the big headlines was, you know, we, we wiped out all of Trump's gains in a matter of, you know, 21 trading days, I believe. Yeah. So it's insane. So what do you think it took three years to make all that money? And we lost that in March. If you're sitting at the bottom of March, you're like, well, we got to, it's got to at least take three years to make that back. Right. There's no way that we can make that back, you know, in the rest of the year. Right. And then in April, I mean, Again, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, you asked me a question, hey, Brian, why didn't you dump all this money into the stock market on March 27th, you know, when it hit the lows? Why didn't you do that? In retrospect, it sounds obvious, but you think, well, it takes three years and deaths were going up in all of April. You heard all these terrible headlines, you know, businesses are going to go under, you know, everything is, you know, going, you know, it, it, it sounds so terrible. And yet, you know, all the unemployment's terrible. The deaths are terrible. I mean, you know, small businesses are going under, you know, it just sounds so awful. Yet the stock market just kept going up. And never stopped going up since that mo- moment in time, despite all those headlines. And I don't know. I think, you know, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. But it, it, it seems if you were listening to this, if you're listening, if you're someone who was watching the markets in those days, and it was highly volatile, there were five to six percent swings intraday. I mean, you would never see that in years before. You know, yeah, we were two percent limit these- down, limit up. Uh, we were triggering circuit breakers constantly, which are which you know, if you know what that is. Futures, futures are only allowed to fluctuate up to 5%. You know, usually it's, we're less than a percent. Futures will be open, opening up a half percent, down a quarter percent, something like that. But they're actually capped. They're only allowed to fluctuate up to 5% total. And then once markets open, if the S&P plunges or rises, I think it's just actually plunges more than 7.5%, they actually trigger a circuit breaker where they shut down all trading for 15 minutes. And that happens several times. Yeah, and so, then there's a, there's another circuit breaker after that. If you go down even 13, you, you do another halt. And then if you're down 20, you just stop trading. And luckily, we never hit those latter circuit breakers. But I mean, but you're right. We hit those multiple times, right? And and the thing is, that the interesting thing is like, 
the normal recession playbook, at least when you know you listen to analysts, say, okay, we got to move to the safest stocks possible, the ones with the biggest balance sheets. Like this is not the time to be any kind of speculative play. Like if you're me, like Tesla, you know, it's a company with no sales, you know, not a great balance sheet. You know, that's going to be the company that survives a recession. That's the one that's going to be booming when times are tough and the economy is scarce. I thought it's like you know the state. You want like Coca-Cola. You want you know something that's been around forever, right? No, it's Tesla. That was the answer. Yeah, I mean, who, who could have who could have figured that out, right? How how is that predictable? But uh, you know, it just goes to show you. You know, I mean, there's some people that were smart out there, but man, it, it was an interesting times we lived through this year. It was. I mean, then you look at like um, airline stocks, which have not fully recovered. You would have been much better off buying the spy than buying airline stocks. Um, oh yeah, I mean, I mean Exxon Mobil. Look at what happened to oil and gas. I mean, oil going negative. Has that ever like, happened ever? <laughs> Yeah, negative was negative almost forty dollars at one point. It was negative forty dollars, and yeah, people. I mean, there was some major margin calls there where people lost a lot of money. I, I mean, even oil going under twenty dollars a barrel that kills like the oil industry in America. That kills like that puts so many you know oil drill drilling out of mar- out of business. You know, I mean, it just looked you know terrible for the industry. There's basically who, who could have predicted that you know the Russians and the Saudis were going to try to go at it. You know, and just you know try to undercut each other in the middle of you know the worst demand for oil in, you know, I guess, historic times. I mean, so I think a lot of different events collided, but I think if you would have asked anybody else, you know, okay, March 27th, what do you think the S&P 500 is going to close at for the year? You know, or is this going to be an up year? You know, are we going to be, are we going to be, you know, at 3,600, you know, or 3,200? I mean, I think they would have been lucky, like, oh man, I hope we get back to even, right? And, uh, oh my goodness, you know, uh, I don't think anyone could have, you know, prognosticated that if you would have, you know, talked to some analysts. I you know it was an interesting time. Um, I think, you know, we all learned a lot. So I, I guess maybe to you, Michael, how is your trading year? You know, what kind of strategies did you employ? And, you know, what did you, what were, what were your successes and failures for the year? So I did, um, I had been working on a strategy, a couple of particular setups over the course, um, you know, just since, you know, since really 2017. And 2019, I really came into some very specific setups, very specific criteria. I was looking for, and I was really honing that, very tweaking it, you know, and, you know, I was really, really tweaking those strategies and just seeing where I could, you know, how I could make them just a little bit more efficient, stuff like that. And so 2020 happened, you know, we come into 2020 and after that big crash, now I actually, I sat out the crash completely. I wasn't sitting there trying to pick any value stocks or make any predictions about what's going to come back first and all oh, airlines are being oversold or anything like that. I said, look, I don't want to touch airlines. Everyone gave Warren Buffett a hard time because he sold at the bottom, which I don't even know if he necessarily sold at the bottom. It's such huge positions. I'm so sure he sold some at the bottom, but you know, but it was just, I didn't see any need to, uh, to go all in on any particular stock. I didn't, I, I said, all right, well, let's just, I'm going to wait for this to sort itself out. And then I'll start to uh, I'll start to trade the rebound, and I know the rebounds don't last forever. I, w- I was fully expecting us to retest lows. To be perfectly honest, I really was, um, but it just never happened. So I just traded as long as uh, as long as the patterns work. So basically, January and February pre-crash, the patterns were working great. So I was trading them, and uh, you know started to have my first profitable year. So I was pretty excited about that. And you know March came along, and when the market crashed, I. I took, I mean, I just, I dialed way back. I can't remember how many trades I took in March, but probably I can probably count them on a single hand. And I also super small, just dialed them back 100 shares, you know, max, instead of, you know, where I was trading maybe two or 3,000 shares. I just dialed way back and said, all right, 100 shares at a time. Let's see what happens. Um, 
no six no and there wasn't a lot of success with it and so that told me that you know there's no reason to to increase the size until these patterns start working again then april rolls around and my goodness april and may and june the patterns just worked everything just went up you know i'm a long bias trader so when the market crashes i i stand aside but they worked great summer hit my patterns just all of a sudden stopped working just typical not not terribly unusual the market trades a little different in the summer so july august I kind of sat out September. Uh, I think I started to come back in a little bit, but then we're having some of the pre-election volatility. Oh yeah, we didn't even mention the election. Yeah, there's a whole election, you know, political change. Yeah, there's a Brexit thing happening. I mean, there's other things happening in the world, but you know, yeah, just a so few. We had months. some pre-election volatility where nobody could really call it. Nobody could call the election ahead of time. It wasn't a. There was no foregone conclusions. What the markets wanted to see, and what I I I'd still believe that the markets like a divided government, and so. Right now we have, we mostly have it. The market is pricing in a divided government, but we actually don't have necessarily a divided government. But after the, when the market started pricing that in, you know, basically immediately after the election, within a couple of days, I think um, by the end of the week, it was almost, they hadn't called the election for Biden, but it was pretty, it was almost a foregone conclusion that he was going to win. Democrats still held the house. Um, and then they, the Senate was looking to lean, even though they hadn't called the, the Senate and they still haven't called the Senate. The Senate's still actually up in the air. We'll talk about that in a minute, but everyone goes, well, there's, you know, the Republicans already have 50 seats. They don't, all they have to do is win one in Georgia, which Republicans control Georgia for the most part they have, you know, they got the, but Georgia went for Biden in the general though. You got to think about Exactly. But it went for Biden in general, but Republicans show up more for non-presidential elections. Yeah, and I think there's some suburban Republicans. So turnout, if you had... Oh, yeah, sorry. There's some yeah, suburban so Republicans. Whatever it is. Yeah. I know that, I think, whatever whatever reason, yeah. I know that they like to... Uh, the Republicans, in general, turn out in bigger numbers for non-presidential elections. Uh, so they usually do better on off years and whatnot. But, you know, this year is very odd where... And also, oh, one other note is wh- whoever lost, that party usually does better like in the president. So, you know, we know Trump lost, but he won't admit that he lost. And there's a lot of people out there that won't admit he lost either. So he doesn't necessarily have that sympathy where people are trying to put kind of a check in power. Um, you know, there's still talks of him enacting some martial law or something. And which I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just kind of saying like, well, he's not doing a great job in saying you guys need to get out and, you know, put a check on the Democrats. And, you know, put these put these two senators into office there. I think the uh, calls for election fraud, I mean, Republicans odds are will still win. But if they lose just if they lose both those seats, then the Democrats, they'll control everything. And I think then we could actually have a a market correction. Yeah, I I think so. I think right right now, at least the Republicans are favored in one, maybe slightly behind in the other. But I I think the interesting thing is like, yes, they went for Biden in general, but a lot of moderate Republicans who, who identify as Republican who didn't like Donald Trump in the suburbs. And this is true in Georgia as well. And so they can, not everyone votes party line, right? You can, you don't have to, you can vote for Biden, you can vote for a Republican Senator, you can vote for divided government. And like you said, I think some people want to put a check in place. They want, I think some general Americans like divided government. They like forcing people to compromise. They don't want, you know, dramatic policy shifts. And so, and it just doesn't, it doesn't take a large percent of the population. I mean, because these numbers are so small, the, your margin of victory can be small. If you just switch a few hundred thousand people one way or the other, you can tip the election balance. But I mean, we're not a politics podcast, but I, I think you're generally right. I think the market prices that in and kind of wants 
you know, when Republicans aren't in power, they, they're like, okay, let's control spending, you know, let's be smart on fiscal policy, let's try to keep the tax cuts, you know, these kind of things, and we'll see where it takes us. So you oh, said you- I, We're not, all right, you're right, Will, we're not a po- political uh, podcast by any stretch, but the politics definitely has, a, has, has some weight on the markets. And on that note too, the Fed, the Fed, my goodness, the Fed. That was the biggest, I think, the biggest story of the year in terms of the market. The Fed stepped in and bought. And the Fed has a blank, a bottomless checkbook, essentially. They can write as many checks as they want for any amount they want. And they've been buying bonds and they've been buying stocks. So guess what? When the biggest buyer in the universe decides to buy, stocks are going up. Yeah. And I, I, to be fair, I, you know, I think... You know, some people make me critical of that, but I think that was probably a smart move. You, you definitely didn't want big companies to go out of business. You didn't definitely want didn't want people to like lose their jobs, you know, and become unemployed. And you know, you may think, hey, you know, shouldn't these companies done a better job with their balance sheets? But I, I think, you know, again, we're not bailing out, you know, people because they were, you know, going crazy with their businesses. They, these were this was these were people affected by coronavirus, right? And you know, things kind of outside of their control. And so uh, I think it's good that the government stepped in, you know, saved people's jobs, saved these companies, you know, and then, yeah, I mean, that may cause some inflationary problems down the road or some other long-term instability, but I think in the short term, you know, I think it's important to, we can, we can solve those problems later. Right. But there's certainly the, yeah, definitely news and definitely affects the stock market. I mean, if you're pumping that much cash, it has to go somewhere. It has to sit somewhere. Is it sitting in a bank account? Maybe. Is it sitting in Bitcoin? Ah, maybe. Is it sitting <laughs> in the stock market? It sure looks that way too, you know? So well, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it all comes down to. And that's what the market is. You know, the markets don't move. The markets don't go down when we have bad unemployment numbers. The markets go down when there's more sellers than buyers or when the sellers overwhelm the buyers. When the buyers overwhelm the sellers, the markets go up. And so yeah. the fact that the, the Fed came in as a buyer, the markets are going to go up. Yeah. And I think if the Fed buys bonds, basically corporate bonds, that means companies can't get loans that keeps them in business. So if you're afraid that companies are going to go under and go bankrupt because they can't get a loan, you know, to, to keep them going. So that essentially gives ease to stockholders shareholders that they can keep going. So, I mean, yeah, so it, it kind of helped from a macro level. This is a, but it's huge news that kind of goes under the radar to Americans. You don't see that on your evening news headline. Hey, you know how much money was pumped into the economy today? You know how much money was a company in the economy? It's like, no, coronavirus, you know, other stories kind of make the headline news. But I think as traders or as investors, you know, that's certainly the big news. And they're not stopped. They're not done print, printing money. You know, they're still printing the money. You know, it's still, that's still something that's going on. You know, they're, yeah. What is it? Um, I believe $120 billion a month right now. And, you know, it's interesting that they were actually, the Fed was doing this before uh, COVID even uh, emerged. Did yeah. they, they were doing this liquidity. They started this liquidity, the repo markets, uh, which is the overnight liquidity markets where basically like hedge funds and big banks, when they, I don't know, they move money around, it's a complex system, but all of a sudden the, the money was dry there. There's just no money there to, uh, to loan out. So the Fed stepped in and started loaning out this money to basically stabilize the markets uh, in these overnight repo markets. And they started that in, I think, September of 2019. So I don't know. I think it's just interesting. I think there's certainly some weakness overall in the economy, um, you know, and but at the same time, the markets are going up. If the Fed is supporting it. What are the long term implications? We're not going to know that answer. We're, we're going to do a one year review from now. Maybe I, I doubt we'll have any answers then. I think this is going to be a, a multi year, maybe even a decade or so until we really figure out the uh, the grand scheme of things and what what the effects are. You know, that we we essentially have, you know, we have zero percent interest rates and we're basically holding those there through twenty twenty four. We're pumping money in, so we're going to have some inflation, but 
you know, at the same time, the money has been going to uh, the upper echelons in society. So the money still has, it hasn't necessarily caused the inflation. I think inflation hits more when all of society starts to get more money, right? That's kind of the understanding that I have on inflation. Just the more money out there doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have inflation unless it's spread amongst everyone. But if to the average Joe, a dollar still worth a dollar and it's going to get them in the same thing at the store, you're not going to start to see that inflation out there until all the average Joes have an extra dollar in their pocket. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so wait, so moving back, you kind of, I was trying to get through your year. So you, in, so you, did hmm. you keep trading through November and now I guess we're in December. So it was how did November and December go for you? November and December have been the most profitable months in my entire trading, trading career. So I am logging, I'm not, you know, and there's a lot of people out there, you know, you don't have to look very far for people that, you know, have bigger profits than me. I'm going to end the year uh, with about, uh, assuming, you know, whatever the next four days are, we're recording this on Sunday, right before the market opens on Monday, the uh, the uh, the 28th. We're recording this on the 27th. And so, but I've, I've got about $8,600 in market profits this year. So, so. what's that percentage-wise, roughly? Well, I guess one of the th- tough things is I don't necessarily have an exact, because my current balance, you know, I started the year with $42,000 total in, in, uh, in trading cash. Mm-hmm. I'm finishing the year with $71,000. So that's a $28,000 difference. You know, 8,600 came from, uh, came from trading. Another 20,000 was from my businesses that I was running. So. Oh, right. Right on. Yeah. I, 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 since I traded in a Roth account, I also contributed to my Roth and then, but I, I kind of dumped my money in at the end of the year. So it's kind of easier for me to do the math on it. Cause I would just, I just say, I just subtract out the 6,000 from the total, but uh, that's how much you can contribute to a Roth per year. So that's so yeah. I guess we could run the calculation. That's still pretty good. So you made. Eight I grand. mean, I guess if if I was if we wanted to just guesstimate, I would have to just kind of say, okay, well, I'm probably right in the middle there, which is you know, uh, forty one. My I'm gonna do the math right here. We're doing um, it live, guys. Doing I'll it let, live. I'll, I can let I can let Michael do that calculation. I, I can tell you my number for the year. Michael runs. Yes. What is your number? So I'm up thirty seven percent for the year. Actually, I was up a little higher. And then I have a decent chunk of Alibaba. And if you've been following the news, this is the end of December. Um, Jackie Ma, uh, you know, head of Alibaba, you know, is not in the good graces of the Chinese Communist Party right now. And so um, their their regulators are in China are going after Alibaba a little bit. And so they had a pretty big drop uh, in, the, in the close of the trading uh, week this week or last week. And so that kind of hurt my end of the year position a little bit. But still, I can't be uh, mad about 36% gains at all. Um, you know, that's, that's a pretty good year for me. I think uh, maybe a few lessons that I learned, um, you know, I think one is it's never too late to get in the game. So I think one thing is, you know, we're always waiting for a big drop. A lot of traders are, I just have to have the perfect moment, right? And I think there's moment. there's no perfect moment. Yeah, that's the thing. So I think to your point, it's, it's really easy to, I think it's okay to pull out your money. I think that's fine. And I think it's always, it's okay to test in just a little bit, right? But I think if you just, if you stop completely and just you're like, I have to have the perfect moment. I have to have the perfect moment. I think there is gonna, it's gonna be really hard. You're, you're just gonna miss out on so, so much gain trying to find that perfect moment. So I think that's one of my major lessons for the year. So there's no perfect moment. And then I think, you know, there, there's no hindsight. We have no 2020 hindsight. I think everybody, I mean, we have 2020 hindsight. We have no 2020 foresight, but I think we can make, we're good at making reasonable predictions and we don't have to be right 100% of the time, but if we can write you know, 51% of the time, that can lead to, you know, reasonable gains. And well, that's it. Warren Buffett said, uh, you know, best time to buy stocks was 10 years ago. The second best time is right now. Yeah. I, I, I you know, in the in previous podcast, I, I gave a chess analogy. So I mean, I'll give another chess analogy. This is one of the, 
so when I got into high school, I, I played in my first chess tournament and I remember this, the record I had, we played six games and I won three of them. So I went three and three. Right. And, and I, you know, there's other more experienced people on the chess team. And so we would go over our games and we'd analyze them. Right. And so one of them, I just, I remember this game, you know, the, I was, so in chess, you know, you try to capture as many pieces as possible and then try to checkmate the guy. So that's usually a strategy, you know, kill all their pieces, get their king. But one strategy in chess is you can sacrifice your pieces as long as you checkmate the other guy. So in my game, this guy started giving me free material, giving me, letting me take his pieces, but he was actually attacking my king. And the thing is, the heuristic in my mind was like, oh, there's free pieces. I got to take them, right? That's how you win the game, right? You just got to take those pieces. And then all of a sudden, he set up this big attack on my king, and I, I died. And I was analyzing the game with my, the friend the afterwards. He was captured. You know, king was checkmated, you know. <laughs> and, he, and he asked me, you know, it was like, yeah, you saw that coming, right? Like, why didn't you think about that? And you're, you're right. And it's like, it made me pause for a second. It's like, why didn't I think of that? Like, why didn't I look there? You know? And so I think one of the things is like, you know, hey, we don't have, you know, we can't see the future perfectly. And I, I certainly miss things when I play chess games, but like, I think some obvious things we can certainly try to see. And so I think we should always be asking ourselves, you know, after the game or after our trade, like, why didn't I see that? Why didn't, should, should I have been able to see that? Or should I have not been able to see that? And so some of the times you can see it. And uh, I think it's important to recognize those moments. So maybe that's an analogy for life. I mean, I'm not the perfect chess player. I miss plenty of things, but certain things you, you should be able to see and you can look back and. and... Well, I, I think that that's, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think you always have to be questioning, especially the trader. I always am questioning my position. I always think I'm wrong too. So I, you know, but apparently I'm doing the math here. So just based on, what I had at the beginning of the year and what I have at the end of the year and, you know, the gains. So I just kind of cut that in half as a quick average and then added it and then took my gains as a percentage. So it's rough numbers, but I'm up about 15% on the year. The spies about 13% on the year. So you beat so, the spy. You're a better than beating the spy. You're better than most of the active money managers in the world, right? <laughs> right. You know, but, uh, but did I beat the NASDAQ? No. <laughs> i think the nasdaq is let me uh i'm actually interested the nasdaq is up uh like 30 percent on the year or something so yeah i think it's hard to beat the nasdaq I 33 mean, yeah the nasdaq is up like 33 percent on the year well did you beat exxon Mobil, michael johnson i i couldn't tell you it's, it's down 44 percent. so i think yeah then i guess i'd beat exxon Mobil. I'm just saying, I mean, if you're a stock picker, I mean, you certainly could have done, you know, if you had picked some traditional names, you could have done, you got your clock clean this year, but you could have also, if you had a big zoom or you had a big Tesla, you could have, you know, been up, you know, hundreds of percent. Right. So I think somewhere in the middle is okay. <laughs> it's really a good year. You, you've mentioned Tesla a couple of times. What did you, have you, have you been in on Tesla at all? I, I, have, I have not touched Tesla since uh, 2018. I've never traded Tesla. I've only owned a tiny bit of Bitcoin in my life. Um, it's something I like to talk about, but I have not touched this. Now, to be fair, I follow Reddit. I follow Reddit Wall Street bets, and I have traded based off of that news. And generally, actually, I've made money off of you know trading some of the, the meme stocks, you know, so to speak. And um, oh, another thing we didn't even mention: SPACs. SPACs were huge SPACs. this year. Oh yeah, where are we twenty? We got plenty of times. So, yes, yeah, SPACs are a big story. Oh man, so I I started pumping money into SPACs, and I mean, again, you know, stonks go only up, right? I think SPACs so far have only. I mean, there maybe there's a few that have gone down, but man, I think there's a, a gold rush on SPACs right now. It doesn't really matter what you are, but well, well SPACs are so unique. Uh, have you held a SPAC through an acquisition? I have. I have held. So one, it's interesting. Um, have you ever heard of BurgerFi? 
Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I've had a, I've heard a burger. I think I might have eaten there once. Yeah, yeah. so there's one in Cary. It's kind of an upscale. I think it's like a Chipotle, even maybe a higher scale than Chipotle. But they're kind yeah, of a very like small a chain. Yeah, it's like a burger. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's a huge, super expensive burger. I mean, it's great for the yuppies of the world. You know, hey, you want a fancy hamburger? You know, put that with your iPhone. Take a picture, right? <laughs> um, who knows if this is a long term trend? But I'm sure they're making better margins on their hamburgers than McDonald's is, right? Uh, and uh, they were in a spac, and it was like, again, you think coronavirus, no one's going to go out to eat, you know, this thing should be doing terrible, like, you know, what kind of revenue did they got? And that, that thing, I mean, it went up, and then it finally started trading under a different name, and now it's losing a little bit of ground, but it's still, you know, 20% up from when I purchased it. So, I mean, it, it, it did all right, you know. Well, so, one of the things, so you, you notice, I'm sure you got the email, but you got the notification during it where they offered you, hey, you want to get out at 1020? Right, uh, I, get, I totally, I totally ignored that. I guess yeah, I ignored it, right? Because it was what it was probably trading at thirteen or fourteen bucks at the time. So yeah. you, you were happy to ignore it. But I think that's one of the things with SPACs is there. It's interesting. You actually are taking a lower risk now. If they have that provision in there, you have to go read the filings. Not every single SPAC has that provision, but a lot of them have this provision where they will offer to buy you out near, uh, near the IPO price, which the IPO prices are typically ten or twelve, ten or twenty dollars. Uh, you can basically just look at look at the history of stock, but it's almost yeah. Your downside risk is not huge, right? Your your yeah, upside potential is higher. Like if, it's a, if it's trading at ten dollars, or if it's still sitting around ten or eleven, you know, between ten and eleven dollars, your downside risk is within that ten dollar because you literally have the chance to cash out that money. You know, I mean, I I held one. I actually sold it right before the the ticker change because I noticed that a lot of them plummet after the ticket change ticker change. So I started selling any of them that I held right before the ticker change, but I got, I held one right up to it and they sent me an email and said, do you want to cash out for, you know, 10, 17? And I was like, well, it's $13 right now. That seems stupid. So I did, I, you know, once again, I also ignored it. And then I just sold it for 13 or 14, whatever it was right before it. But yeah. SPACs are just incredible. SPACs, uh, special purpose acquisition company, SPAC, uh, really unique, um, opportunity there where basically everyday people can get in early on you know basically almost pre-ipo because you don't know the company you're getting in on that's the only thing is you know it's pre-ipo but you don't actually know the company you're going to get you you can't say for certain that they're going to do a good job but your downside risk is fairly limited if you buy at the right time if you buy you know near the ipo price your your downside risk is essentially about the ipo price i, I tried to explain this to my wife i thought this was so funny so i was like so one of the spacs i'm in is p psth it's the one uh, pershing square it's run by bill ackerman right yes bill ackerman and, yes yeah bill ackerman sorry not ackerman bill ackerman and um right, my, we'll allow it okay. I, I won't i won't tell him if you won't okay that sounds good you know if he goes on our podcast i'll, I'll give him the apology but <laughs> but anyways so i tell my wife oh i'm only P- psth you know i'm up a decent percentage you know is this is great and she's like oh what do they do it's like we don't know they haven't done it, decided what they're going to do yet <laughs> it's like so why is it up yeah good question i don't know i don't really know you know it's like it's the kind of spacs are high, hot, hot hot they trust him i mean but he was always running it so shouldn't they have trusted him from day one right so like why is it going up and i was like yeah i just i guess they trust him a little bit more now so it's it's interesting. I mean, I think they're just getting more attention as it gets more visibility. And he, you know, he has a, you know, a good brand name behind him. But even some of these smaller ones, it's like they have good, what they can hype themselves on is they have a good management team. They have a good track record. You know, this is the kind of company we're going after. So this is the kind of research you can do, even if you don't have a, a target in mind, right? And then there's, of course, there's buzz about, you know, which target they might be going after. But um, is there any particular SPACs that you have been, been trading, Michael? Just curiosity. So I tr- pick PIC, which is XL now. I traded that one a couple times. 
Um, you know, I think I, I took a couple losses, took a couple wins on it. So I think I ended up net positive on it. Uh, the SPACs, they do trade a little different. So I day trade them some. I've taken a few swing trades. I don't, I don't uh, broadcast my swing trades because I'm really just kind of working that strategy a little bit right now. Once I have a little bit better down. Uh, it's not as exciting because it's like, oh, I did it one week here and one week here, guys. Like there's a little bit of lag time between the two moments. Probably not as good entertaining watching. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and I mean, it's just, I just, I feel comfortable day trading. I know what I'm doing day trading, walking into that each trade, you know, the swing trades, I'm, you know, the overnight risk and everything, I still am not as comfortable with it, but I'm a little more comfortable with it with SPACs, just knowing that, you know, they can't do an offering and it's not like I can buy it $10 today or $11. I know the worst case is it opens up at $10 tomorrow. It's not going to open up at $3 tomorrow. I know, I know it's not going to do that. So that's kind of, uh, even well, if it does, well, whatever it does of it at $3, you can buy it. Cause then, you know, you can cash out at 10. So it seems exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. Buy. Cause I know I'll be able to cash out for, for IPO price plus some. So I, um, I'm trying to think, do I have any, I do. I currently do hold, I, like I said, I've been working on day trading strategy. Um, I do currently hold two specs that I managed to pick up in the tens just because, you know, I'm kind of curious on them. Actually, I lied to three specs. I have three specs right now, just hundred shares a piece, just to okay. kind of see how they're doing. I'm curious what you're holding because I, I have a few as well. So let's see. All right, so I'm holding. I, I couldn't tell you anything. I, I can tell you the ticker. Uh, sure. S O A C. Okay. C C A C. Okay. R P L A. Oh man, so these are all different than the ones I'm holding. <laughs> yeah, and, and like I said, they're very speculative. But I think all of those have spiked a little bit at some point over eleven or so. So I picked up a hundred shares when they drop back down the tens. And say, okay, let's see what happens with these. Obviously, something's going on with them, whether or not it's I, I just, you know, I couldn't say for certain. My goal on my target profit on all of them is 15 bucks. And I'm willing to hold them uh basically until I get that letter that says cash out now. And if it's if I can't get a better price at that point, or if there's any reason I shouldn't, then I might uh, change my plan. But right now I'm just planning on selling them at 15 if they can get there. So I think that's just, like I said, it's a strategy I'm working on. I don't, uh, I don't broadcast it. I'm not going to, you're not going to see these trades on my, on my Twitter feed or anything, but you listen. So you get to know where I'm at. You, you traded a little bit of LCA back in the day, didn't you as well? Yes. Yes. Uh, day trading it. Yeah. I just day traded that one. Okay, LCA yeah. pick. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think there was, a, there's been a couple others that I've been in and out of on, on a just day trade basis. Yeah, LCA is, I think it's an interesting one. That's one of the gambling ones, you know, just like DraftKings was a, a, a SPAC as well. So like gambling has been going well in the coronavirus times. I, I'm holding one. Uh, see, I couldn't even tell you what they do either. Like most stocks I know, but it just the, the SPACs, I'm kind of just a little bit, you know, I don't follow them as closely, but DMYT, that's a SPAC. That's up, I'm up 100% on that position. I mean, I didn't put as many shares in as you did, but like, it's just, I just bought a few and just let it sit there. You know, it's just kind of funny, um, you know, what your portfolio performs and what doesn't. Uh, you know, there's a little... I, I like to do research on most of these things, but these SPAC ones, you know, because of that limited downside and I did my initial research, but then I just kind of, you know, didn't really follow that carefully afterwards, but yeah, SPAC market blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a lot there's, you know, it's interesting. There's an old SPAC. I actually, I actually did a swing trade on uh, DMTK uh, Dermatech. Mm-hmm. And this one just blew up a couple days ago. So I actually, I was watching it for a day trade, never took a day trade on it, but it blew up. Um, I think on the 18th and which was a Friday and then sold off pretty heavy, you know, not as bad, but I mean, basically it, it kind of found some support 
where it was in the 14s. It opened at like uh, 16 or 17, got up to 18, sold off down to 15. And I said, well, you know what? This one's got the good story. I saw on Twitter, several people pumping it. And so I said, well, let's just, and I, you know, it was one of those ones. Let's take a small position. Let's see what happens. You know, I'm not even a hundred. I don't think I traded a hundred shares on that one. And so DMTK, and I just put a kind of a price target. So I was buying it around 15 and said, okay, let's just see if we can get 25 out of it. Right. And I just set a sell order there and I figured I'd let it sit for like a month and see how it did. And like two days later, it ended up selling above 25. My sell order was at 25. All of a sudden I got a notification that it sold at 25.50. So that means it got, it got halted and opened up well above my sell price. Oh man. So did you, so do you, you did sell at 26 or whatever? And yeah, yeah. It executed at 25.50. I had no idea. I had no, I didn't even know that it had done that much that day. You know, like I think I had glanced at it in the morning. I'm like, ah, all right, it's moving. No, nothing. So this is so this is really Great. interesting. I think phenomenal. So like, there's a lot of research I put into some of these tra- swing trades. And I'm sure you, you do a lot of you know when you're day trading. But then you know there's this pile of money. I'm like, okay, you know, let's not gamble with it. But this looks, you know, I'm not. I don't have tons of conviction, so I'm not willing to put like a huge chunk of my portfolio. So let's just put a little bit in some of these facts and see what happens. And man, um, I wish. I guess. I guess I wish I had more conviction. But like again, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's like you made hundred percent, but you know, hundred percent of a hundred dollars is you know a hundred dollars. You know, ten percent of a thousand dollars is the same thing, right? So you know, um, but I think it's. I don't know. I, I have fun doing this. It's kind of a little of a, of a you know there's some entertainment value just to watch this thing, whole thing explode. And I think this is a good wave of the future. I mean, I think, again, we, we, we didn't even mention it, but there's like, we had IPOs this year of Airbnb and, uh, you know, uh, DoorDash, right? And, uh, and these things, you know, they weren't SPACs and, they're, and you look at the day of their IPO and they were going skyrocketing and that's money that's not going to the company, right? It's, it's, it's effectively, you know, money going to the shareholders in the market, right? The people that are in the underwriters. But even when you do a SPAC, you know, it's, it's, it's a reverse merger. So, I mean, I think, again, more of the capital can be allocated more efficiently. At least that's my theory. So may, maybe it helps the underlying business. But I think you, you posed an interesting question. How do these perform after merger, right? And um, I think there's a, we only have a few is, examples. And that's, that's why I try to trade on a very short-term basis. Some of them do good, some of them don't. But it tends to be right directly after a ticker change, there tends to be a sell-off. Not yep. every single one, but a lot of them have that sell-off. I think Open Door, Open, yep. I think that one went up, actually. So Yeah, Open, um, that's an, actually an interesting company. Uh, I, I, I think that's maybe an interesting long-term play, but you're right. Yeah, but I mean, but at the same time, like I think that one would, but a lot of the other ones, they, they have a tendency to sell off. I think some of the times the, uh, even the brokers have had a little bit of trouble with the, uh, with the ticker change. And so not all the retail traders that you expect to be there are necessarily showing up on day one. So then all of a sudden you got more sellers. Than I, I think there's also a sophisticated market. Again, it's kind of the buy the rumor, sell the news type of a thing. So people exactly. are buying up to the event and then selling after. It's like, you know, Tesla's going to be included in the S&P 500. Let's buy it before the event. And then now the event happens and then there's a sell-off, right? So it's, you know, which you know an event is happening, you buy up to the event, right? And maybe that's just the sophistication. But then you're right. If you have a good fundamental company, it can just continue to run, right? But there's, it's, it seems to be right. There's, there's a little more volatility after that change and you can go certainly go down. So you mentioned that the 2020 is kind of the year of the SPAC. You venture, you want to venture a guess? I, I'm going to play the, the trivia card on you here. How much money have SPACs raised in 2020? Oh man, I mean it's in the billions, right? Uh, yeah, you gotta give me a number. Seventy-five billion. Wow, seventy-three billion. Good job. That's <laughs> impressed. Well, I got. Um, you want to know the logic? I, I think there's. Well, I, I, the specs. I mean, 
they're a special purpose acquisition company. So they're not like, they're not, they're not, there's no huge names. There's, like Airbnb is like, you know, again, has as a multi, you know, tens of billions of dollars company, right? So, same with Dash, right? So the, the ones that go traditional IPO route typically are in that value range, but SPACs tend to be smaller mid-sized companies. So you do like 30 or 40 of those and you kind of multiply it out. So that's kind of how I got my number. Gotcha. Well, it's been about, it's been 219, uh, 219 SPACs in 2020 that have done their, that have, that's their IPO. They haven't necessarily... Uh, done the reverse merger and everything yet? Yeah. So they've raised a grand total of seventy-three billion. On that note, do you know? I've mentioned it in the stream, so I don't know if you caught it. Do you know how much money IPOs have raised this year? Oh man, that's going to be a lot more. But I okay. I see. This is the thing. I could guess like a huge number, and you're off by a hundred billion. Right? Give, give me a number. Give me a number. Um, I'm gonna guess two hundred fifty billion. Okay. Yeah, you're a little high. So it's about double the stacks. <laughs> 140 billion. 140. See, I, was 140. Off, I was off by like a whole order of magnitude right there. <laughs> so, I, but that was 140 billion raised by IPOs. So that, you know, and it's interesting. The law of large numbers, it, it doesn't always make sense. If I told you that it was, you know, 400 million, you know, when you just think about these numbers, they don't necessarily always register the same. So I always like to say, let's get a comparison. Yeah. So what's the previous year's IPO? Because I'd be curious how Forget this the previous year. Okay. Okay. I want next the next the previous record high. So 2020 set a record in IPO number. All right, and SPACs essentially. Yeah, because never has been there been this many SPACs. So I haven't double checked that, but I know for there's no way 73 billion has been raised in SPACs before. So you know we've got over 200, basically 213 uh, billion dollars raised between SPACs and IPOs. IPOs alone in 1999. We all remember how 1999 ended. The dot-com boom. Yeah, dot-com boom, dot-com bubble, call it what you will. Uh, do you want to take a gander at how much? That's 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 second place now. They had they had first place up until this year. Oh, I'm curious if this is like inflation adjusted or whatever, but okay. I would, I would assume that the 99 would have actually been higher. That's surprising to me that 99 was not higher than it is now. Huh. That's super surprising to me. Not, it's not, no, it's actually cash raise. It's not uh, inflation adjusted or anything. So 1999 was number two. It was, it took till us, it took 20 years for us to beat that IPO record. Interesting. Do you want to know, you know how much uh, sure. 99 raised? Give me a guess. I mean, so you said ours this year is 140, right? 140 so, is the new record. So I'll, I'll go um, 100. Well, 108. Yep. 108. Okay. But that's super. I, I wouldn't have expected that this year was a record IPO year. Because again, coronavirus took out the middle chunk of it. So you think how many companies are going public in the middle of like potentially, you know, a recession, right? That seems like not the best of times to, I mean, so I work at a university where we have some companies that are non-public and they were actually thinking there's several companies that might IPO, right? But some of people are like delaying their IPOs because they, I mean, Airbnb was potentially not going to IPO this year because they thought like, hey, you know, it's been so bad. You know, our, our numbers look so bad. Like, let's wait, you know, we can get a much better valuation. And then, you know, everything started, you know, changing. And, you know, I mean, now it's, you know, it's a record valuation, right? But <laughs> I mean, if you're Airbnb, you don't want to IPO in like March. I mean, you look, you'd look, you probably would have been killed, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But no, again, I think right now, yeah, we're kind of maybe maybe we're getting into a little bubble territory. There's some, I know there's some AI companies. There's some companies that are, my, my dad likes to use this phrase. There's this, you know, we use the, there's the price to earnings ratio. There's he he calls it like you know the the dreams to earnings ratio. You know, <laughs> so we're getting a lot of dreams here. Uh, and so some companies, you know, are getting sky high valuations without, you know, maybe the substance to back it up. But maybe they'll turn into the next Amazon or the next you know, you know, juggernaut. Who knows? But I think it was interesting. That DoorDash. And uh, Airbnb 
IPO'd the same week and both had this crazy high valuations. They both sold off afterwards. But both where DoorDash is very much a COVID play and Airbnb, I believe, as far as I can tell, is a very much not a COVID play. It's a very much post-COVID play. But I think that's where, you know, you got to always consider at least that the market is forward-looking. The market's not pricing in earnings tomorrow. That's, I mean, you know, you get a lot of uh, a lot of new traders come to the market and they say, well, they beat the expectations. Why did it go down? Well, number one, those expectations aren't real expectations. You know, that's an average. The media put, they always say, oh, this is the media, this is the uh, analyst consensus. Now, a consensus is different than an average as far as I'm concerned. A consensus is if I come out and say, I think it's going to be 10 and Brian says it's going to be 20 and we come, well, let's compare notes here and say, you know what? We can, we can say that it's going to, we'll, we'll come to a consensus. And I think between the two of us, we'll say it'll be seven. Right. But like if, if I say, no, I'm saying five, Brian says 10, that's it. We made our bets. This is where exactly we think it's going to be. Anyone can say, Oh, you can average the two out and say, okay, the average is seven fifty. But, you know, maybe Brian knows something I don't. Maybe I'm a better analyst than Brian. Who, you know, who knows exactly what goes into those, those different expectations. And so it's just so interesting that, you know, you always have to, uh, you, you can't rely on expectations. As yeah, I always think it's interesting because some people like trading into earnings. Some people like don't want to touch trading into earnings. And then, like you said, like earnings could be one story. I mean, what, what we got versus what was projected. There's also what guidance you give to what you, you know, is the future? What hurdles do you see? I mean, there's so much that goes into it. And then I think there's also the opportunity cost play too. It's like, you know, well, this is doing well, but is this other competitor doing better? Should I just flip my money into somebody else? Right. I mean, you, you know, I remember one, I was trading DocuSign. They had a record quarter. It's like, and where you think business is going to go great and the stock was going down, right? It's like, you know, well, maybe their valuation was really high, right? So, you know, they had to really beat it out of the park to justify the valuation, right? I think and it all comes back to buyers and sellers. If everybody thought they were going to beat earnings, then everyone bought ahead of time. And then when they beat earnings, everybody sold because they thought, oh, I'm going to get a great price. But then all of a sudden you have more sellers and buyers. So, so that's I think, the interaction. That's the market, buyers so, and sellers. So I think this is another interesting thing that I don't do this level of analysis, but you can. I mean, you can look at the options market and you can see what they, if there's, you know, calls or puts expiring and you can see what the options activity is and you can see what they're projecting in. So I remember this just you know, watching CNBC. It's like, okay, Nike has earnings calls. You know, 75% of option players think they're, they're projecting like a, you know, a $4 move to the upside, right? You know, but there's a 25%, you know, that the other 25% of people could be right, right? But the 75% of, you know, money is on this, you know, move. So let's see what happens in Nike earnings. And what do you know? They go $4 exactly. So, I mean, some, sometimes the market can be efficient and, you know, options, you know, people can play it correctly, but it's just interesting that, you know, th- these are different data points you can use, you know, if you decide to trade these kind of things. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can, I mean, yeah, you could, and you could trade anything. I think um, as long as you understand, if, as long as you're willing to be wrong, I think almost anything, you can trade almost any strategy and make it work. So speaking, of trade, willing to be wrong. so speaking of trading strategies, I, you said you said you're experimenting with swing trading strategies. I know you were liking to trade breakouts this year, and then you're trying to do some dip buys. Are there any other strategies that you want to try out for next year, or are you gonna keep with your current strategies? What's what's the game plan you think for next year? And maybe this right, deserves its own episode. But oh yeah, no, for day trading, I'm gonna stick with what I got. I'm gonna do the, the 15 minute breakout, and then also the dip buys as long as they're dipping into uncharted territory. Essentially, you know, the gap and craps essentially. They gap way up, they, they crap down. And then I just don't, you know, I know what there, if there's resistance at $3 and it gaps up to $3 and then falls down, I'm not going to buy mid range in a dip buy there. 
But if it gaps up, if there's resistance at three dollars, it gaps up to five and falls to three or falls to four, and starts to turn. That's when I'll start to do a dip buy there. So I'm, I'm I plan for right now because the strategies I'm trading are successful to continue to just trade those strategies, and you know, but also try to keep an open mind if. I start to see something else. Like that's the reason I even added that dip buy strategy. Well, number one, the breakout strategy wasn't working as well. And I said, well, you know, and I think once you learn a strategy, once you understand the ins and outs and you're, you're comfortable taking the loss when the trade goes against you, cashing out the profits, once you're just used to it, it's just, just what you do. Um, I think it's a little easier to incorporate a second strategy as long as you come in in the same manner with a set of rules. And just kind of tweak those rules a little bit here and there as, as needed. So I, I plan right now to continue to trade those two strategies, continue to question myself, and, th- and really look at what, what's happening on each one of them. Is this one working? Is it not? Right now they're both working, so I don't plan on eliminating either one of them. Sometimes you might be able to find an additional strategy. You might be able to find a – you might just notice something. You go, well, you know, if I – you know, I don't, I don't know, but you can sometimes, you know – change the strategy, put a little tweak in there and, uh, and make it a little more profitable. So that's I, right now. That's, that's the biggest thing. The SPACs, as far as I'm concerned, the SPACs are part of the unicorn bubble. Um, they might continue. They might not. But I think when I think basically, I mean, and I, there's no secret sauce to my SPAC strategy right now either. When something gets marked up a good chunk with some added volume and starts jumping up above that, you know, a dollar or so above its IPO price with no news, I pick up a hundred shares. And that's basically, I mean, that's the strategy right now. I might add more to that later, but there's, you know, I'm basically just adding a hundred shares saying, okay, you know, worse, my downside risk here is a hundred bucks because I know they're going to, they're going to send me an offer to buy out those shares around $10. So if I can buy them, you know, near 10, near 11, I'll be in good shape. And uh, you know, if they happen to go to 15, I, I sell. So I've got a five, uh, I'm doing, you know, basically a, a five side upside to a uh, one, one, uh, you know, five to one risk or reward to risk. Yeah. I think, I think you have a, a good strategy there. I mean, I think that's the strategy I've also been following, but I, I think to, to people that say, Oh man, have I, mass, have I missed the SPAC boat or, um, you know, or should I just throw it at everything? I, I think at least here's my general advice. I think it's still wise to be selective. And again, follow your own trading strategy. But I, I think if you there's one that you really like and it's above 11 and you still you have some conviction behind it, I think it's, again, here's, again, general advice. I think it's, it's okay to follow your own strategy. And, you know, these are things that we do. But I think if you, I mean, there's been plenty of SPACs that have run that have gone from, you know, we're between 11 and 15 and then went much higher. So, I mean, there's winning trades to be out there if you still, if you couldn't get in below 11. Yeah, exactly. And that's, so right now it's just, you know, I guess I'm trying to, filter through a little bit, which ones might be worth holding a little bit longer. You know, I, I just don't know. So right now I've kind of set those profit targets at 15. And I, I'm like, also at the same time, like if it meets it within a week, I'm going to sell half and then see what happens. So, so here's my other maybe funny trading strategy that I'm doing this year. Whenever I take these positions, like a hundred shares or, you know, whatever unit, when I sell my position, I'm going to sell, I always sell everything but one share. So I could see what would have happened had I held, right? And maybe it's just like, you know, oh my goodness, it, you know, it went up another 200% and I can feel that, oh man, what if I, it's just like owning Bitcoin at, you know, less than a dollar, right? Or if it completely tanked, I can be like, man, I am so smart for having sold it all. But I, you know, I, I guess I could look at the tickers and just track them, but I think it's just funny just to hold one share, you know, and just for posterity, it will sit in my account and we'll see, you know, what happens to it. 
And so that's one thing I've been uh, doing. And then I can send funny uh, screenshots to Michael to say, oh, look, I'm up 300%. I've made $5, you know. So. <laughs> FRSK, right? FRSX. FRSX. Yes, I'm sorry. It's all right. Ah, yeah. yeah, that was a great, you know, and that's even one, you know, it's, it's one of those things too, that I was just not, I'm not willing, I'm not, I'm not an investor, but I was like, you know what? Autonomous, autonomous cars. I feel like that's going to be a hot sector. And then what, two weeks later, it's a hot sector. Brian was already holding it and so, so, I, still so, made good money. I did. I did. But here's the interesting thing about that one. So that stock, again, I, when I talked about the pocket, it, it was range bound. And so when it retested its highs, you know, the natural reaction is, well, it's just going to follow the pattern. If you're a technical trader, it just goes up and then it goes down. And it had done that before in the range I'd done it and I had kept holding. But what I didn't do is I didn't research why it was going up. And I think if, you if I would have done that, I might have been able to extend profits because the reason, unlike other times when there was no news when it was range bound, it was just, you know, kind of technical, technically trading, there was news and I guess what they, you know, they call it, there's, um, you know, uh, an incentive here, or there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, a catalyst. And, and that was that basically there were other SPACs getting into this. There were other businesses that were doing well in this space. And basically there's a, just like EVs were doing really well for a period of time, or if you've been following, uh, you know, CRISPR gene editing stocks are, you know, going through the roof. This was one of those fields where it just happened to be the sector of the month, you know, and all of those companies were moving together. And, if, if you could have seen that trend, you know, you probably could have done pretty well if you got in. Well, autonomous driving had a couple of, uh, it had a couple of catalysts actually. Uber sold off their autonomous driving. Mm-hmm. They actually got rid of theirs. But then at the same time, rumors are now circulating that Apple is getting into it. Exactly. And so there was, and it is interesting that, it, I think it's really interesting that some of the stocks started kind of moving ahead of time. Yeah, there's some. I mean, is there insider information? Who knows? But yeah, you're right. There's at least some analysts, or there's some. Some the market got you know a sniff of this, you know, going forward. Well, I think um, if you haven't read the the buy side, uh, that'll be. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. It's about a you know a story of Wall Street excess. This guy, I mean, he does hookers, cocaine, the whole nine yards. But at the same time, like he actually talks about a lot about his day job and how, you know, people are feeding him information. And even one time he like, he had a suspicion that somebody was leaking his orders. And so he called, he calls the, he calls, you know, cause he, you know, these bigger, these, uh, these hedge funds, you know, they have people execute the orders for them. And it was, you know, and it, he, he had a suspicion that this one person was leaking it uh, to their, to their friends. So he goes, he calls him up at two o'clock and says, "Hey, buy buy twenty thousand shares of this, but don't do it till three fifty-five. I want to do it right at the end, right at the close, okay?" And so, so, and then he the, the he saw the stock start to tick up, and it was like an illiquid stock that never had any volume. And then he called him back and said, "Hey, don't buy any till three fifty. She goes, "I got, it, I got it. We're not going to buy any." He goes, "But I said twenty, make it two hundred fifty thousand, okay?" So he's, he's the stock start ticking up and ticking up and ticking up. And, you know, he's like, all right, obviously she's leaking the information. And then at 350, he calls back up and says, that's my order. Not telling. He goes, you haven't taken, he goes, no, 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 no. You said 355. He goes, go ahead and cancel that. And then he had his other friend at a different. A shorted? shorted. <laughs> and like shorted massively. So everyone was buying 10,000 10, shares thinking they were going to make America. And all of a sudden he shorted it. Or I don't know. I forget what it That's was. A great they, story. You know, yeah, they totally screwed him over. But at the same time, like, but he knew he could tell that he was getting screwed over because 
and there is, there's all these back channel networks and everything. And, and, you know, so I think, and I mean, but at the same time, some of it's not necessarily illicit or illegal. Uh, one of the times was, I, I think it was something about um, somebody, they had realized, one of his analysts had realized there's a trend. They go, well, hospitals are now using these staffing agencies instead of actually hiring people. So I think these staffing agencies were going to do a lot better. So then he orchestrated the trade amongst the staffing agencies, you know, basically getting into positions ahead of time before their earnings came out because they all expected the earnings to beat. Yeah, the, I think this uh, is, I, mean, I think it's like, it's like, it's like the, you know, they say is that is the dog wagging the tail or is the tail wagging the dog type of scenario, right? And I, I think it's like Apple gets on this, does Apple be going to self-driving cars because everyone else is or is like, is it all booming because Apple did it, right? You know, and were they, it was Apple doing this for the whole time and we just didn't know about it, right? And that's causing it. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting, you know, sometimes some companies are playing catch up and some companies are ahead of the eight ball, you know, on these things. And we just find out about it later. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's interesting, though, that sometimes when you start to see these things. So I'm almost playing that same strategy on some of the specs. When I start to see these little spikes ahead of time, maybe somebody out there is leaking information. Maybe they're not. I've always got a downside risk. I've always got a place where I know I'm wrong and I'm going to be out at this, you know, at this point. But, you know, when you, when you start to see movement, it, it can indicate something is going on. I mean, and all these stocks started moving about a week before Apple, uh, the Apple rumor. Maybe it's just coincidence, Michael. Apple just rumor. coincidence. 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 I, you know, know, I thought it was like, if you do EV, you know, what's the next thing that's related to a car that's not EV? Oh, it's got to be the self-driving part of it. There's only so many things that can go into a car, right? I mean, I, I guess component-wise, maybe there's a new tire coming out. I don't know. That's the, the next the next thing you can invest in. But, but I, yeah, I, I think it's a logical extension, right? But but you're right. I th- there, maybe there's some you know, unique timing with it too. And that's not even confirmed rumor, right? Did Apple ever confirm that? I don't think no. they. Yeah. But that's typical of Apple. Apple Apple very very often will have these things where they come out and there are these rumors that circulate and they confirm it at a big press conference, you know. Months later, well worth the read, the buy side. I think, you know, if you're interested in kind of knowing kind of the insider track on some of these big news stories and whatnot and how they can or have historically disseminated, you know, this guy, once he wrote the book, that was his nail in the coffin. He's never getting another inkling of uh, insider information again or inside, you know, inside Wall Street. Not all of it was illegal. That's the thing. A lot of it was not illegal. Man, if, if that story was true, I, I would have like, I wonder, I wonder if his secretary, like, again, I wonder, like, called her out on him and like, let's do that again. Let's short another one. Let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this 355 thing again tomorrow, you know, or like every, every few days just, until, until it finally stops working, right? I think that would have been like, I would have taken those people for a run. Well, I think, I think, oh, on that particular one, I think it was pretty well known that he did it. Yeah, There's no oh. question that he did it. And now, you know, Everybody that she was leaking the insider information to, or that you know, the buy order to, or the sell order, or whatever it was, everyone now they're not going to trust her because they just got burned so bad. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah. So, well, they could have been like he would have been just like he would have played off. Oh, like you know, oh, I had to change a heart, but you know what? I, I you know, it's not, I wasn't doing this on purpose. <laughs> no, exactly. I don't know, there there should have been a way to like do that. That would have been interesting. It was, yeah, but it was, if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's a good good book. It was it's interesting. As I said, it talks a lot about some of the excess. You know, I mean, this is a middle age or not middle age, uh, a middle income kid from Massachusetts, and you know, ends up just getting. I think he was just looking for a job at one point, and ended up in, you know, ended up at Wall Street, and then all of a sudden, you know, discovered cocaine, and uh, and then <laughs> and it, it spirals out of control from there. Uh, so we 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 usually end our show with a special segment, but this is going to be a little bit elongated special segment. So. 
Are you ready, Michael Johnson? As ready as I'll ever be. So for this segment, you, I never tell you what happens. So you have no idea what's going to happen right now, right? Completely in the blind. Confirm. Okay. Today, we're going to have two special guests. So you're going to have to give me the Zoom link, and we'll do a little pause here for the podcast while I gather the two guests, okay? So, so Michael, can you tell our viewers who is your special guest that you have joining? Apparently, my wife, Betsy, and my daughter, Everly, are special guests. <laughs> and my wife, Lou, will be our special guest. She's joining briefly. But maybe we can talk to, to Betsy while Lou is joining. So, so Betsy, we usually ask our guests. Uh, take a seat. Oh, yeah, take a seat. Get comfortable. How's it going, Betsy? Chair. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, I only have camping chairs in here. Hey. <laughs> hey. How are you doing? Good. Oh, man. Everly is so cute. She's growing so fast. How old is she now? Four months. Four months. Wow. Who's that? Is that Uncle Brian? Uncle Brian. <laughs> hey. Oh, Everly, you've got a cute little wave there. Cute little smile. My goodness. <laughs> All right. So one of, the, one of the questions we ask our guests, Betsy, is like, you know, what do you know about the stock market? How, what is your experience with the stock market? So can you tell all our listeners out there what your experience with the stock market is? Sure. So my stock market experience starts from the time I was born, actually. My grandmother... Um, made it a point to invest in stocks for all of her grandchildren. So growing up, I would hear her, she would come to me, I probably became aware of it, maybe around 12 to 13 years of age. And she would say, hey, I just made this trade from, you know, eBay to Coca-Cola or something. She traded those really big names that I would, I would always recognize them, but I never really knew what was going on. I was just like, yeah, sure, grandma, thanks. Um, but yeah, she found that really important to invest for us. I never really picked it up or understood it very well. Um, so I can't really say that I had a knack for it, but oh, and Lowe's was a big one too. Mike's actually looking that up on the computer right now. 162, she yeah. bought it $15 in wow. like 1999, <laughs> grandma did. Yeah. So yeah, it's currently trading at 162. Good job, Grandma. Right? Yeah, she did awesome. Yeah, so very important. Um, we found to invest at a young age, which is why we have little Everly's 529 plan. And I'm sure her daddy will be buying her stocks too at a young age. That's, that's right great. now, she's just got the 529 plan, which anybody can contribute to. We'll post a link to that in the <laughs> show notes as well. No obligation, but if you feel so inclined. And, uh, and so, Betsy, just out of curiosity, what do you think of uh, podcasting and, and Michael's uh, day trading? Just the thoughts of a spouse for someone who, who does this. It's definitely interesting to see how his setup even has grown. Like, I'm looking at this giant microphone in front of my face. We definitely didn't own that at the beginning. Um, <laughs> but I'm really impressed, to be honest. Um, I'm, it's really been pretty inspiring to see how he's been growing with his knowledge and how he's really done a great job with all of this. It's been very impressive. <laughs> well, Thank you, great. honey. Hi. And we have Lou. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Michael. Hi, Busy. Hi. Hi. How are you? Hi. This is Good. Hi, Emily. You're so cute. Oh, wow. You're learning in an early age, right? <laughs> Four months. Yeah, she's her first oh, wow. podcast. I think this probably would break a record, probably, for the youngest person on a podcast, maybe. <laughs> yes, this is Everly's first podcast. We'll see if she talks or not. 
<laughs> yeah, so far she's like good. I'm just enjoying the milk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for our listeners out there, Lou is my wife, and uh, she's uh, speaking from another room.、Uh, she just joined the the call,、um, and we were just bringing up to speed. Lou, we we're asking Betsy how she got involved with the market, and、uh, her grandmother bought her. A Lowe's stock,、uh, very at a very、uh, in 1999, so really impressive.、Oh, wow! Yeah. So it's, maybe. Yeah, it's done really well over time. So. Nice good, good investment from grandma. Yeah, that's definitely a good, you know, kind of gifts to give to the grandkids, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not one that we understood at the time, but definitely appreciated later. Yeah, she's she's a frontier, so. <laughs> Yeah.、So、what about what about you, Lou? What is、uh, what's your interaction with the market, and what are you, what are your thoughts on Brian? What he does with、uh, with his trading? Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, kind of, I'm not really actively, you know, working or not working, but like being on the stock market. But、um, yeah, I have talked to Brian a lot, and he, we have like evening chats, you know,、uh, before night and for sleep. And I think one night we even talk until three. A.M. Just I have I don't really remember half of what we talked, but <laughs> we just、uh, talk about all different theories. And then he's very nice. Ask my opinion. Sometimes I have pretty strong opinions, and then he just okay, he's fine with it and take it. And I mean, take it by word at least. <laughs> so、um, yeah, so it's it's definitely a lot of fun. I think my dad also like actively trading in in China. So I come from China originally, and then、uh, yeah, he is、uh, practicing his theory there, but. Yeah, I think I I may you know try to play some next year, and then we we're talking about like throw the dart or you know buy all the、uh, the, the stocks that can get you addicted to. What do you call those? Like the, the evil stocks, right? Evil the... stocks. <laughs> oh yes, yes, our experiment: the good stocks versus the evil stocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think I think definitely stock market is is one way they say to learn about yourself, right, and then to learn about others. So. Um, yes,、yeah, it should be fun, and I'm really happy you guys are going strong. Have how many subscribers or downloads so far? Yeah, we're getting、uh, several hundred downloads.、Uh, per, you know, basically every week we're getting between one and two hundred downloads from the podcast. So we're very encouraged、uh, at the growth so far, and I think you know 2021 it could、uh, it could continue. So、yeah. I want to ask you now. I'm a little curious. You're from China originally. You said your dad trades in China. I understand that. The market, the stock market, is a really big deal in China.、Uh, do do you know anything about that? Can you speak to that at all?、Um, I mean, I'll speak to my knowledge, but、um, I think in general it's similar to here. But I think the biggest difference, I mean, there's also like two levels of stock market, right? So the first,、uh, the first level, what they call the second level,、uh, but. But in China, I think it's very、um, you know policy driven. So if the government saying next year they're gonna heavily invest into this, you know, sector, and then people will all go buy that stocks, and then maybe later when you know the the support is is getting tracked back from the government, and then it's 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 gone. So it's really policy driven, not much market driven. I think they're trying to、um, balance it at the moment, but but still is、uh, still heavily you know policy government driven. Yeah. And so so、uh, Michael, I had both of our guests.、Uh, Do a little bit of homework for this segment here, and so I, I would say, you know, maybe our, our wives could give us their stock picks or ideas for the next year. So Betsy said she had two, and then I told Lou she she should come up with, you know, she she could make she could make five. So Betsy, if you want to volunteer your 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 ideas、uh, or your ideas for the next year, I'd I'd love to hear them. 
Sure. So I stopped at two because it was actually taking a lot of research to come up with five. <laughs> so yeah. said, you have a, you know, have a young is, child. <laughs> yeah, this, this is good. This is enough with a little four month old. Um, she takes all of my free time um, these days. But I basically chose two just based on kind of what's going on in the world and what I think might happen in 2020. Um, I personally have kind of built my career around understanding consumer patterns and predicting how people may shop, especially in retail. So my predictions were good stocks, maybe just for dividends. I don't know how they'll play out, but I think they'll be well or do well next year is Clorox Company because we can't get enough of those wipes once they're going to be back on the shelves sometime next year. I think they're going to completely sell out constantly over and over again. So I think that's a pretty safe pick. Um, and then my other one is Lululemon because I think athleisure just knows no limit right now. Um, and then even when we do start to go back to the office, I feel like, you know, companies like Lululemon may have a line for going back to work. So going back to the office, um, I know even for me recently, I went back into the office after maternity leave. Um, I go in sparingly, but people are in the office in Lululemon. So <laughs> I just, I don't really see that stopping anytime soon. I, I'll say this. I bought my wife and mother-in-law uh, both Lululemon products for Christmas this year. So, I mean, we were, we were definitely on the Lululemon train. Uh, I mean, they've had quite a run actually this, this year, but I mean, I think there's definitely more potential there for sure. I, I think those are two great picks. Uh, I'm a, I don't know their particular price, but we're going to buy some of both of those. Oh no. At least, at least a few shares <laughs> just for fun. And, uh, and we'll, we'll do a, a review a year from today and see how they performed. All right. Clorox and Lululemon. Okay, Lou. Lou did, some, did a lot of research, actually, on <laughs> no, these. No, 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 not enough, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, just, just more based on Brian's uh, conversations. Uh, yeah, so one I was thinking of is uh, ARC-G. That's probably as well of the hot one, like ARC families, which uh, is the, it's called ETF, right? Exchange Traded Funds. So it's... Um, managed by Catherine Wood, right? She's the, the popular uh, lady at the moment in the world. And then ARCG is the, uh, one of the, the funds she managed and it's focused on, you know, gene editing and then, um, you know, like CRISPR or beyond DNA actually stuff. So yeah. this year they have, yeah, they have really good performance this year. 90% um, up year to date. And then like three year average is 37%, but one year is 122 but, uh, percent. I think, I think they still have a run for, for the next year. Um, at least gene editing will not fail <laughs> in the next Hopefully year. Not. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're far away from clinical trials. So I think they should have, still have a, a run. And then actually if they can really come up with some product, it will really help, you know, human beings, right? Help have a species. So, um, I think they, I hope they, they succeed. So I choose ArcG over the other ones. Um, yeah. Are you guys going to think about that too? <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about exchange traded funds a little bit, some thematic ones in the past. We even had an exchange traded fund expert on there. So yeah, we're familiar with ArcG and that's certainly been one that's run a lot. So as Everly, we have a note here that we need to, to do some more research on ARC funds, so that might be a, a might be a fun one. I'll look at the price. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go crazy. Kind of like my uh, my free lunch experiment where I put very little risk in there. It might be uh, it might be worth uh, doing a little a small you know small something where we can afford 
you know, worst case, we're down $100 at the end of the year, you know, yeah, it's, kind of it, thing. It's had quite a run and it could easily pull back. But I think my wife likes to look at things in the long term, like long term horizon. And so she's, she's a, a fundamental believer in gene editing technology. So that's the bet she's putting on the table there. I like that. I like that it came from ARC funds. Like I said, they're, they're very hot right now. Uh, I know there was just a big purchase they made the other day that drove, I can't remember the stock. It might've even actually been DMTK, uh, that Dermatech one that I was talking about earlier. So there's, uh, yeah, they've got buying power and, and they're very popular. So I, I think they could just be, get, yeah, just be getting started. Yeah. Another one I would say, I mean, I just researched a little bit more on the ExxonMobil. Like I, myself, my background is chemical engineering. So I always have faith in like materials, polymers, all stuff. So even though like I know refineries get hit hard this year and the last maybe two years, but I mean, at least like all the chemical world, right? Everything you make like polymer based, at least it's all come from refinery originally. So um, I don't think they will fade away, but I think it will be good to choose, you know, the best company in the refinery to invest a little bit. They're all down at the moment. But then I look a little bit like mobile i think they have more problems than just because of the market so there's a website actually called something um reenergizexom.com it's 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 a company that like purely just investment firm trying to uh, recommend some board members to Mobile to really change the management team i was like is this something like this interesting but they have a whole website talking about like Mobile should do something different and all the stuff so I'm not sure if I'm going to choose ExxonMobil itself, but I think I'll choose one of the, the, you know, the companies in the refinery segment, at least. <laughs> That's great. And that was Everly talking. I, I think Hi. she, uh, I think she supported that decision. That I think she's, she likes ExxonMobil. Awesome. <laughs> For the chemical world. Thanks. <laughs> I like, I like all of these picks. I like the, uh, the consumer base. I like the technical base. I like the fact that we got an ARC fund in there. Because I barely, barely looked at the ARC funds. I know what the ARC funds are, but I think it's great that we've got one of those. And I, I, I think that would be a fun experiment if we uh, bought a very limited number of shares of, it, of, of these four. So I think that's, those were good choices, a wide like variety of theirs. Yeah. yeah, those were great. Uh, I know you did a few more. Do you just want to list what you had, honey? Or just, and you don't, you don't have to give a full explanation, but do you have any other thoughts? Oh, you, yes, you think? sure. I think, um, you know, I think Ford is still a strong one to buy. I mean, myself, I think I will not really buy an electrical car recently. Um, I know I have friends working in the battery industry. I think it's still a, a little while to go for the, for the battery to really be, you know, support, support a car as good as the, the gasoline. So, I think Ford itself is, has a good uh, balance and it's a very strong, has a low PE ratio. Um, so I think that's a good buy. And then like Amer airline wise, I think American Airlines is one of the one I like at least uh, a little better. So I may keep track of that. And then the like, cruise, I, I was thinking of it, but then I guess the like, cruise may be a, still a little bit too early to buy in, but I definitely want to get on cruise as soon as possible. So <laughs> yeah. Do you have me something? Or the, the cat, C-A-T, right? The, the caterpillar. Yeah, so I think we have some recovery plays potentially that have that have got really beat down. So Lou's kind of uh, finding some stocks on sale with some value investing. So correct, yeah. <laughs> I like I like both those strategies. I mean, because I think Clark's been doing well, and Lululemon have both been doing well. Um, you know, and it's interesting because some people do come in and try to buy the value stocks, but <clears throat> one of the things that even you come into the market, you don't always notice this, but a lot of times the stocks that are already up are the ones that can continue to go up. I mean, you know, Tesla, prime example. 
who would have ever thought Tesla would be where it is today? Yeah. So I think that's some great ideas for all of our listeners. And we got to hear, you know, a little bit of a different perspective on the world and see maybe our better halves. <laughs> oh, man, Everly is so cute back there. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear the background. Yeah. My daughter tried to say hi to us during this podcast while I, I muted a little bit, but she <laughs> was a little upset that I did not play with her right now. <laughs> we appreciate, I appreciate the support we do have from our wives. I think it's very important. Uh, you know, I've heard about some people, traders like, oh, they're trying to like, they're trying to like sneak in a trade behind their wife or something. I, I'm glad that we have very supportive wives. That are that are you know support our endeavors and uh, and you know encourage us in whatever we want to try out. Yeah, I, I'm yeah I'm grateful that <laughs> my wife entertains and Lou is so helpful and bounces ideas off and can talk to three a.m. with me at night about these things. So <laughs> it takes a special person to be able to do that. <laughs> so I feel the same here, honey. <laughs> yeah, and if you ever want to talk about like China politics or you know what what's the you know what's going on inside the country, I think Lou has an interesting yeah. perspective there too. So. Oh, just one more comment on Alibaba, you know, as I'm from China, so I have to give a little comment there. I think, yes. I mean, personally or from my I'm dad. I'm an Alibaba I, holder too, so. Yeah, we, we're holding Alibaba, but um, I think like personal recommendations is uh, it's not going to grow in the short term at least. And uh, the government has more power, you know, of saying like what's going to happen to the company. So if you cut, you know, the, the, um, the Alipay part out of out of this company, then their value probably is not as high as what people expect now. So I would say this may not have a, a, a quick short-term growth at, at least, but for long-term, they, they should still, you know, stay. They, they will be there. It just probably their market going to be different and that their business needs to be refocused. So well, That's good to know. Cause I know, yeah, the market's been beating up uh, Alibaba a little bit here with the, uh, with the government because the government's been beating them up. <laughs> Yeah, and our government isn't so happy with the Chinese companies either sometimes. So maybe a double whammy there, but maybe things will improve. We'll see. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you both coming on and being our guests today. And I know you both have busy schedules. And Everly, thank you also for coming yeah. on today. Good to see you, Everly. <laughs> yeah, you're so nice. So good on the podcast. You should be uh, a regular guest. Right? <laughs> yeah, she's very enamored with all of these screens in front of her. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, she's thank you for it. She's traded with me once or twice. So yeah, she's always, huh. And everyone loves her. Everyone's typing into the chat to say hi, and it's great. Nice. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for having us. A really uh, a pleasure, and uh, wish you guys and the listeners the best year to come. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have to do this again. It's nice to be included. Yeah. Good yeah, to- Brian, thank you for setting this up. This was awesome. It's oh, a great idea. Very welcome. So with that, I will say, uh, I guess, Goodbye, 2020. Thank you for listening. This has been Trading for Keeps. I'm Brian. And this is Michael with Everly and Betsy. <laughs> and this is Lou, Brian. Uh, and then Lou in the background somewhere, our, our taller. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right. Good All to right. See you, we'll have a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.